Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The gospel message is truly a good message, a message that has many wonderful aspects to it, one of which is that the gospel is made available to us freely, without costs. Now, that's true for us, the recipients. But do not think that the gospel came about freely. Messiah paid a very high price. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. You see, the gospel is a message of salvation through redemption. And this concept of redemption biblically is always involving a price being paid. So it's free to us. It has no cost to us, but God paid fully for it. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 55. The book of Isaiah and chapter 55. In this 55th chapter, we see many things connected to the gospel. Now, Isaiah wrote many centuries before Messiah entered into this world. Now, realizing Messiah is eternal, there was never a time he did not exist, but in a time in history, there was what's known as the incarnation, Messiah becoming flesh and dwelling on earth in order to accomplish redemption so that gospel message could be made available to you and to me and again, freely to us, the recipients. And Isaiah tells us many significant aspects relating to the gospel in this 55th chapter. So let's begin. Look at verse 1. The first word here is the Hebrew word hoy. It's a word of emphasis, meaning what he has to say has significance. It is of great importance. Secondly, it's a word of exclamation. He wants to put an exclamation point on his revelation in this 55th chapter, especially in the first verse. And then finally, we look at this and we see that the purpose of this word hoy is to capture the attention of the reader for the purposes that we've already outlined. This has great significance. It's a message of salvation. So verse 1 says, hoy, meaning pay attention. And he says, all or everyone who is thirsty. Now, thirst is a great desire. When one is truly thirsty, he has a great desire for fluid. And when he drinks, this gives him satisfaction. When his thirst is quenched, there is a great feeling that he receives from that thirst being quenched. And in that same way, when we are in a broken relationship with God, 
being separated from him when we experience that intimacy it feels good there is a great satisfaction and it's achieved in a very expensive manner that which we could never pay so god in love god in grace he made the payment force meaning he became the redeemer so once more hoy everyone who is thirsty and there's an invitation come and this word means to respond to this invitation come to the waters now water is an important concept in the scripture it can refer to life or eternal life and water also when we look at water in the sense of a rain we're speaking about the concept of blessing so water can many times refer to a blessed life meaning a kingdom experience and that's what the gospel gives us a way which there is no other way it's the only way we can as sinful human beings experience the kingdom of God and experiencing that gives us that great great pleasure that utmost satisfaction so hoy everyone who is thirsty come to the waters and and who there is not to him so one that does not have and this next word is the word kesef in hebrew kesef is is silver but it's used in a colloquium to refer to money so this invitation even if you have no money you are still invited and you can take advantage in other words you can benefit from this invitation hoy everyone who is thirsty come to the waters and who there is not to him money come and purchase and eat so you can acquire this without money all you have to do is respond to it and he says here leho which means eat receive it now all of this requires something faith hearing the word of god and responding to it with faith this is what god sets forth as foundational for being a gospel recipient you don't have to have anything possess anything it's not what you do but it's you responding by faith to his invitation and then he says come and buy then he says without without money and without price so again the second time he says you don't need money because this does not have a price attached to it for you there's nothing that you can pay there's nothing that you can exchange in order to get this and then look at the last two words of the hebrew text it's the word yain which is wine now normally wine in the scripture speaks to joy happiness gladness and the term halav milk speaks of that which is for sustenance a newborn child desires milk he desires that which sustains his or her life normally we would have from a a worldly way of thinking 
first we need life. That's our greatest concern. Then we'll think about having joy and gladness in our life. We put the basic things first, and then the joyful things, well, they are hopefully to come thereafter. But in the kingdom, there's a totally different emphasis. In other words, there's a change. This is why through the gospel, first and foremost, what we're going to experience is that joy, that gladness, that satisfaction, a great joyous satisfaction. And then we speak about that which sustains this life, doing the things that that life is about. So the order is changed for a reason. It shows a kingdom emphasis rather than a worldly emphasis. Let's move on to, to verse 2. There's a question. Why? Why do you weigh out silver? And here again, it's simply an idiom. In the ancient times, people wanted to buy something. There was a price to it. And they would, would weigh out silver until they reach that price but here it's saying why are you and we might just say why are you paying out why are you being charged for something that is not bread now bread is similar to the concept of milk in the Bible both speak of life a basic support of life and he's saying today what you're working for what you're doing what you're trying to acquire for life isn't really life what's happening there is deception in the world that we reside in it's a world of darkness it's a word uh, world of of deception darkness and deception falsehood lies this is how this world functions but God's kingdom is very different so he says you know don't don't weigh out, don't pay for that, which, which doesn't give life. And then he says, and, and we go back to that same first word, lama. It's, it's understood, applying to the second part of this verse. Why do you labor? Why do you use that which you get for your labor that is not, that does not bring about satisfaction? So he's saying, how this world functions in its normal state now, having been corrupted by sin. Sin has entered into the world. He says, all of this is deceit. It's lie. It doesn't satisfy. Meaning this, people work very diligently. They make many sacrifices and they acquire things, but it doesn't give them satisfaction. It doesn't give them ultimately joy and that peace and contentment. So he has a different way. Look now to the middle of verse 2. He says, Shimu Shemoa. Now, you probably hear that there's similarities between these two words. Shimu, which is a commandment to the, the masses. It's in the plural, meaning here. And then the word Shemoa, which is also the word here. These two words, same words, come one after another. Same word, different grammatical construction. And what he's saying here and how we would translate it is this. You, meaning plural, you all, diligently hear this. 
This is of the utmost significance that you comprehend what is being revealed by the prophet Isaiah. So he says, listen diligently to me and eat that which is good. Now, I've said so frequently that the word good in the Bible, tov, relates to the will of God. So if we want that which satisfies, that which is truly a, a source of joy, then we need to partake of, we need to receive that which is truly good, meaning God's will. You'll never have joy. You're not going to have that contentment unless your life is following after the will of God, that you're in the will of God. So he says, eat the good and delight yourself. And there's a word for, for that which is fertile. Some would say that it speaks of that which is highly desirable, the delicacies of, of, of something, of something that is highly, highly pursued. And it says in the end, your soul. So the delicacies for the soul, those fertile things that, that are, are willing to produce things, bring about things, give an outcome to. He says, these are the things that we ought to be delighting in, not the deceitful things, the false things that belong to the world. In other words, spiritual delicacies. That's what God has for us. Verse 3. In verse 3, we have another expression which deals with hearing or listening. But this is the phrase, lend your ear, meaning turn your ear, position it so that you can hear. Now, it's used for a couple different purposes. There's several different words, like shiv for listening, lishmo that we dealt with for hearing, and now also this word, lehazin, which means to change a position in order that you can hear better. Oftentimes, and I've shared this, oftentimes it means drawing close to, but it demands a, an action, a change in one's life. So, so lend your ear and come unto me. Listen and your soul will live. Now, what is God offering here? I told you. It's in regard to the gospel. Now, remember something. On the night that Yeshua was betrayed, he sets down with his disciples and he took the the cup and he says this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood ratified established through the shedding of his blood meaning the giving of his life now i say this about a new covenant because here in our verse we have a reference he says look at it carefully verse 3 he says listen and your soul will live and i will cut for you now it's literally the word cut but we have to understand it as an idiom a covenant we don't in hebrew use the word la sot to make but rather likrot to cut but we can understand it in english as making a covenant so he literally says and i will cut for you a covenant but what type of covenant I am making for you a 
eternal covenant. Now, if you look at the commentators for this who are believers, they all will tell you that this relates to the gospel message. And the gospel message is a covenant. I don't think there's any disagreement with that. It's a new covenant that Messiah established with his blood. We all know this. What's interesting and of highly of high significance is that it's an eternal covenant. Now, this word eternal relates to the kingdom, so we could say it's a kingdom covenant, but more than just being a covenant covenant, a kingdom covenant, it's eternal. It has eternal implications. So what God is promising is forever. Now, we know from Jeremiah that God's going to maintain this covenant. This is what we call in Hebrew a chidush. It's something new. If you look, for example, in the scriptures, it speaks about the covenant that God made with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. And we're talking about the, the Sinai covenant which they broke. This new covenant is different because a covenant usually has all parties obligated to the terms of the covenantal agreement, not this covenant, not the new covenant, not this kingdom, this eternal covenant. Jeremiah tells us that God is taking it upon himself to be the maintainer of. Through forgiveness and no longer remembering our sins, any violations God has chosen. I will not remember these things. This allows him, based upon righteousness and truth, these terms of the covenant will allow the covenant to be eternal. It has kingdom implications. It's a kingdom covenant. But what's being emphasized here is that it is forever. And what brings it about? We'll look at the next part of verse 3, the last few verses, or few words. Chasdei David. Now, chasdei is a word from chesed. It's in the plural. It means the, the chesed of, but it's plural. So it's the grace in the plural, in abundance, the gracious things of God, but it means here of David. Now, learn a principle. This is not my interpretation. This is what Judaism teaches, and most of Christianity realizes this in the scholarly world. When the name David appears in the Bible after David's death, David's long gone, he's already died. When we refer to David, many times, in fact, most of the times, we're not referring to David ben Yeshai, meaning David the son of Jesse but Ben David, meaning Messiah. So when it speaks about the gracious things of David, it's speaking about the abundant grace of Messiah. And then we're speaking about these gracious things. They are faithful things. So the faithful, dependable, gracious things of David, meaning of Messiah. That's the foundation of this this new covenant, this gospel message. Verse 4. Verse 4 begins with the word hen. Now, we can translate this with the word behold. It's also a word of emphasis and a word that, that seeks one's attention. 
Behold, speaking about David, but here again, Messiah, the son of David. Behold, I have set him, or we could translate this, I am giving him, or literally, I have given him as a witness to the nations. Now, this word for nation speaks about different countries. There's a broadness, or we could say there is a inclusivity to this gospel message. It's not for one nation, it's emphasized here. He is giving him, meaning Messiah, to the nations. And then he says, Nagid, a representative, a representative and a commander to the nations. Now, the word Nagid speaks about, we could have it as a, a prince. It's a word of authority. It's a word of, of representation with power. And then the next thought here, when it says mitzaveh, this is word of a commander. It's the same word for, uh, for commandment. But here the emphasis is on the concept of unity. The word for commandment in the Bible, mitzvah. Also, that same root, we can derive the word tsevet, which is a team, a group of people that work, and here's the key, that work together, and they work together for a common purpose. So Messiah's commanding, and this commanding is for the purpose of unity, and so that the will of God, the goodness of God, can be experienced by all those who are part of this covenant. Verse 5. Again, the word hen, behold, and then we have a different word. Now, the word that was translated earlier for countries or nations is the word leum. Now we have the word goy a much more common, common word for, for non-Hebrew speakers. Many people know the word goy, and they translate it as Gentile. But, but that's a very limited understanding of this word. One of the first places it appears in the Bible is the book of Genesis in chapter 12. And there it's with Abraham that there's going to be a nation or a people that comes from him. Many times prophetically, the prophets use the term goy, referring to Israel, but Israel in an obedient state. So it's simply a term for people in this context. Verse 5, behold, a people that you do not know, you will call. So there's going to be an invitation, that same word for, for inviting, you, meaning Israel. You are going to call to a people that you don't know, meaning not part of you. And you're going to call to them, inviting them to what? This gospel message, the, the foundation, the emphasis of this passage. So behold, a people that you do not know, you will call. And a people that they have not known you, unto you they will run. Meaning this. This word for knowing is a word of, of relationship. It's the same phrase when it says, and, and Adam knew his wife. They had a relationship 
establish a marriage covenantal relationship. So there's going to be a new type of relationship between people, Israel and a nation, a redeemed nation like Israel's called to be redeemed. They're going to come together and there you're going to run. The emphasis is this. We know, for example, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 23, it says that Israel is going to be used by God finally to bring about what Israel's called to be, a light, a source of revelation to the nations, where it says there's going to be 10 men from every nation, that they are going to grab onto the titsit, the corner of the garment, that four-corner garment, and they're going to say, we have heard that God, meaning the living God, the true God, the one God, is with you. You know him. And they're going to go together for a kingdom experience. This is what Isaiah is saying as well in this verse. Verse 5 again, behold, a nation that you do not know, you will call. And a people that has not known you, unto you they will run on account of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, because you have been glorified. Now, this glory that they're speaking of is something that, that shows a distinction. When it says you have been glorified, it's not the normal word for glory, kavod, but it's where we get the Hebrew word we're, we're talking about something that has a uniqueness, a distinction. And how most of the scholars see this is that Israel is going to be distinguished by having that call, to be that light, to be that vessel. So Israel has been distinguished by God for a purpose. Now look at, at verse, verse 6. Timing availability respond at the right time when it's available to you verse 6 seek the lord when he can be found call upon him when he is close now the emphasis is this when this message of salvation this kingdom covenant is made available when when it is available to you Take advantage. This is God coming close to you. God draws close to you through the revealing, the presentation of the gospel. So if you've ever been given the gospel saying this, you need to receive Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you when you died, when he died upon that cross so that your sins can be forgiven by his blood redemption was eternally established for you and all you need to do is come receive that believe that invite him into your life make him by faith the lord and savior of your life that is god coming close to you when that presentation is offered so he says seek the lord when he can be found you find him in the gospel and call upon him when he's near he's near when the gospel is being proclaimed. Verse 7. Rasha. This is wickedness. And it speaks here about one who practiced wickedness. So the wicked one 
as a response to the gospel, the wicked one will leave his way. And the man of, and it uses a synonym for wickedness, the first one, rasha, a wicked man. And this is where aven, which speaks of iniquity and wickedness. So a man of wickedness, and we have to go back to that first verb, he will leave his thoughts. He is going to think differently. He's not going to rely upon his perception, what he thinks is right, his knowledge, but he is going to leave that wicked way of thinking, that human way of thinking, and he is going to return, it says, and he will return unto the Lord. Now, returning unto the Lord, what can we expect? Well, the Word of God tells us. We don't have to be uncertain. When I say, I want to turn away from wickedness. I don't want to live in iniquity. God is calling me. He is inviting me, and I'm going to respond to him. I want to return to that, that right relationship with God, what God created humanity initially to be in. When we do so, what can we expect? Viracha mehu, which means, and he will be, this is God, he will be merciful unto him. So I can be assured God does not lie. I can be assured that God is going to be merciful to me and to you and to everyone. Makes no difference your background, how sinful you are. We are all fully sinful before God. We have absolutely fallen short of God's glory. Whether one has, has missed it by, by a great distance or just, in our opinion, missed it by a little, we're all guilty. It's the same blood that's required, that same act of redemption. And God has done it, and therefore he's done it because he wants to extend to us mercy. It says he will be merciful unto him and to our God. For there is what? He will be abundant to forgive. So God is going to be merciful and to our God. For there is abundance. He will be abundant in order to forgive. So all of God is working into this forgiveness. He doesn't hold on to anything. He totally forgives. That's what the scriptures say. What a wonderful promise. What an encouraging invitation. We can have assurance that God will forgive, that he will be abundant in his forgiveness, meaning sufficient in a practical sense. Verse 6. Now, if you're saying to yourself, I don't know about this. I've done a lot of bad things. Well, realize something. God forgives all sin. And if you struggle with this simple message, God explains why you do. Look at the next verse, verse 6. He says, verse 7 actually, verse 8, where he says, For not my thoughts are your thoughts. Plain and simple. We don't think as God thinks. So he says, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. So in order for us to understand what he's saying, 
We're not going to figure it out logically. It's not going to, to make sense to us. We simply need to receive it by faith. That it meets the righteous standards of God. His covenant of forgiveness. His willingness to be merciful. His faithful and abundant grace that he offers up through Messiah. Through the son of David. So again, look at verse 8. For not my thoughts, your thoughts, and not your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. Translated it literally. The emphasis is not. There's a difference between us in ways of behavior and ways of thinking. And he wants to emphasize this. Now verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, thus my ways are higher than than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts now when he speaks about as heaven is higher than the earth don't think about this as the sky or or going into outer space and that's a long way no when he says heaven here his implication is the kingdom of heaven now the kingdom of heaven what's there the glory of god when we speak about kingdom the kingdom of god glory everything is very different the world that we live in is a world world of choshen, darkness olam hasheker it's the world of falsehood deceit lie it's nothing related and we live here and more often than not what's natural is for us to think according to the ways of the world the gospel doesn't fit in the gospel transforms us to think and to behave differently that's why it talks about ways and and thoughts in this this passage now look at verse verse 10 for just as the rain will come down and the snow from heaven now we all know this is not hard to understand Rain comes down from heaven, and the snow, likewise, comes down from heaven. And what do we know about that? Well, it comes down from heaven, but he says here, Ve'shama lo yeshuv, meaning to there it will not return. What is this saying? Well, in a human sense, you know, I give, I like to get something in return. I do something nice for someone, naturally, from a human mindset, not God's, but a human mindset, I'd like something nice to be done to me. So this is how the world thinks. But God's thinks differently. His thoughts are far different than our thoughts. God is saying here, you know, I give rain and snow. This is a blessing. Remember, water blessing. With a heavy snow that melts and that water goes into the ground, and it's going to have an impact, an effect. It doesn't go back up to the heaven. God does not give and wants it back. God gives freely, totally. He gives with no expectation of a return. So he says, for since he, and this is a word for saturate. It's a word for forgiving abundantly. God gives rain and snow abundantly 
And he says it saturates, it saturates the earth. And what's the outcome of that? Well, we have a word for giving birth, meaning the earth is going to give its produce. It's going to be fertile. And secondly, it's going to sprout up. So it's going to, to give birth. There's going to be sprouting up those things. And notice what he says. And therefore, he will give seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats. The implication is bread to the hungry. God provides. He meets needs. That's his nature. And what does God want in return for that? Nothing. God is a generous giver. He does not give to get back. He gives because he likes his nature is to bless. And it's very important that we learn about the nature of God. Move now to the next verse, verse 11. Thus will be my word, which will go forth from my mouth, and it will not return unto me empty or we could say in vain what it's saying is god does this and there's going to be an outcome it's a good outcome it doesn't come back void what god does produces fruit and the fruit's not for him the fruit is for his creation now one thing that needs to be emphasized is that the word of god from this verse and any many others the word of god is anointed and therefore the word of god has power and that power will will produce it will bring a change an outcome it will have an effect that's why if you're wise you're going to study the word of god he also says look in this same verse it will not his word will not return empty or void Rather, it says, it does. His word, we could think of this God himself speaking, it's God behind it. He made, he did what he desired. Now, literally it says, it did according to what I, meaning God, have desired. And, and it was successful, that which I have sent it. Now, I want to focus in on a word, chafetz. Now, there's something that we need to know about God because I've heard many times, and I know there's a psalm that says this, but you have to understand the original language. Because people will say, God, he is free to do whatever he wants. Well, that's true, but you have to understand it. God will not do anything that's ungodly he doesn't desire to do anything ungodly so when someone says god can do whatever he wants well many times people hear that and they see that in the broadest sense god can do anything but god will not do just anything he does that which is good that which is holy that which is righteous now i want to get into very briefly a theological truth and that is, think about the word righteous. Now, we, when we hear that, 
we think of a definition and certain things are, are conjured up in our mind when we hear any word. But let's focus in on the word righteous. Now, the problem is we usually hear a word and we want to define it and associate it with other things so we can comprehend it. With God, it's very different. We do not say God does righteous things. He does. God does righteous things. But the point is this. They are righteous because God does them. Do you see the difference? God only will do that which is righteous. God does not do anything that's unrighteous. But righteousness is defined by him. He's the source of all things. Meaning this, we look at a righteous deed and we don't check God out. God, did you do something righteous? Let's see, does it meet the qualifications of righteousness? It does. Yes, you did righteous, God. No. Theologians will teach you, whatever God does, it's righteous. Why? He only behaves according to his character. So God is righteous. Everything he does is righteous. God is holy. Everything he does is holy. God, and this is no way, no way an attack on his sovereignty. People say, well, if God's sovereign, he can do all things. The question is not that. The question is, God will not lie. Can he lie? No, because it's against his nature. God cannot lie. That's what the scripture says. God cannot sin. God will not do any of these things because it's against, the, it's against who he is. So God and the scripture, what he did, he desired. He wanted that because of who he is. This is the way that we see the scripture. Look at it again in the verse 11. Rather, he did what I, meaning it did, the word of God did what I desired. And it, meaning the word of God, succeeded what I sent forth, meaning it all came across according to the will of God. Verse, verse 12. For in gladness they will go forth, and in peace, meaning shalom, they will be led. Now, we learned something very important here. Let me begin by asking a question. Do you want to be glad? Do you want to experience joy and happiness? Obviously, everyone, yes, I do. This verse tells us how. When it says, look at it again, verse 12. For in gladness, they will go forth, literally, you will go forth, and in shalom, you will be led, meaning this. Shalom is related to the fulfillment, specifically, of the will of God. Without the will of God being fulfilled, there is no shalom. So it's only, it's only when I am walking in God's will, will I have gladness. This is the point. Only through obedience to God's will, we're led in his will in order that we can go forth gladly. And it says, the mountains, when this is a case, the mountains and the hills, they will burst forth before you with a shout, meaning a shout of joy. 
and all the trees of the field, they will clap the hand. Now, what the text is saying is this. When the, the mountains and the hills are changed, when they acknowledge God, that is going to be a kingdom experience. The gospel has a kingdom implication to it. So the mountains and the hills, they're going to burst forth at the kingdom. When the kingdom of God is established and when we are behaving according to the kingdom of God, it's going to bring about a gladness, a joy, an acknowledgement when it says all the trees will clap their hand. It's speaking about the creation is going to acknowledge the things of God. Respond joyfully, praising what God has done and establishing his kingdom. Last verse, verse 13. In exchange of thorn. Now, realize, in the Garden of Eden, there were no thorns. There was no thistle, no briars, nothing harmful, nothing that was poisonous. All the trees of the Garden of Eden were good for food they could eat adam and eve could eat of them freely without any concern they had nourishment only one tree they were told in the middle of the garden the tree of knowledge of good and evil that's hadat only that one stay away from all the others were good but as a consequence of that first sin we find the world was altered the world was changed And therefore, look at verse 13, there are thorns and there are briars. He says, verse 13, in exchange of thorn, the fir tree will come up. And in exchange for a briar will go forth the myrtle tree. Now, the first one, it could be a cypress tree or a fir tree or a pine tree people are uncertain about exactly what tree we're speaking of but we'll just be general god's going to make a kingdom change he's going to bring about restoration that's what verse 13 is speaking of because of sin everything became dangerous harmful unpleasant there was a threat but now through the gospel and what the gospel is going to bring about it won't be void it won't be be non-effective It's going to bring effect in creation. Creation is going to acknowledge God, giving him a shout of joy. We're going to go forth in gladness because of what the gospel enables. And therefore, there's going to be a transformation. In the place that there was a thorn, a fir tree is going to go up. And in the place there was a briar, a myrtle tree is going up. And it shall come about, meaning God will do something. And it will be unto the Lord for a name. What does that mean? Lashem can be understood in the modern Hebrew term, monotin, which is reputation. So all of this transformation is going to reveal the character, the great name, the wonderful reputation that God will have in his kingdom. Now, he doesn't change. He's always a wonderful God, but it's going to be seen. It's going to be manifested in the establishment of his kingdom. 
So it will be to him for a name, for a reputation, and for a sign. And what type of sign? An eternal sign that will not be what? Not be cut off. This is going to be the eternal condition of the kingdom of God. That his name will be great and there will be what? Well, the last thing I want to say is that this word, ot, in Hebrew, for a sign. Where it says, look again, end of verse 13, where it says, It will be to the Lord for a name, for a reputation, and for an eternal sign. Now, that word sign, it's the Hebrew word, ot. It speaks at something miraculous, a wonder, but it's something that only God can do. It's something that is a, a mark that God and only God has brought this about. And again, what the scripture is telling, and we'll close with this, the scripture is telling us, when it comes to the gospel message, which has kingdom implications, only God can do this. Only God can take a sinner like me and declare him to be righteous in his presence. How wonderful. God can take a fallen word, world and he can restore it into a kingdom of his glory. That's the character of our God. That's why he has that great reputation and this outcome, this sign, this miracle, this kingdom miracle. And that's what the creation of the kingdom of God is, a kingdom miracle. It will not be cut off, meaning it will never cease to be. God's promise of his kingdom is one of an eternal kingdom. And that's why we see that there's an eternal aspect attached to the gospel. We can believe it. We can have assurance that the eternal life that, that God freely has given, he is able to maintain that forever and ever. So we don't have to fear, we don't have to doubt, we can believe it with assurance. And this assurance is a source of joy, thanksgiving, praise, and giving God honor. Well, I'll close with that. Until next time, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.